Go ahead and grab a seat. We are going to wrap up this morning uh, this series that we are in called God's Plan. We've been walking through teaching about what is God's will for our life. And if you're here today and it's your first time at Mariner, it's really, really honored that you were here. When I was in high school, I so badly wanted to... Um, be, be taller. I was 5'10", still am 5'10", and I played on the basketball team, and there were um, guys in the basketball team who were 6'5", and taller, and they, they were so much better at basketball than I was at basketball. They could move down the court more quickly. They were more imposing defensively than I was. They could dunk the ball um, really powerfully. I'm not so badly wanted to be 6'5", so I, I prayed and I asked God, would you miraculously elongate me and make me 6'5", and he, he did not answer. He did not answer that prayer the way I wanted that prayer answered. Somebody told me, some crazy dude told me, if you will hang on your door frame, it will stretch you out and then it will spark a growth spurt. I tried it. I, I was willing to try anything. It, di- it didn't work. And so if you are 6'5", in this room now, you are in the top 1% of height in the world. You are a one percenter. You are a one percenter. You are rich in height. You were six five and up. And and I know that there's some struggles with being six five and taller. Some of you who are six five and taller have told me um, it's uh, it's painful on an airplane. I, I've I've watched you on an airplane. You're, you know your knees are hitting the, the seat in front of you. Um, rental cars are painful. The when you go to a hotel, the shower is difficult to get into. And so there's struggles with being in the top one percent. But still, you are in a position that many of us, myself included, have envied. You are a one percenter. So if it takes being 6'5 to be a one percenter in terms of height, what does it take to be a one percenter in terms of wealth? You've heard that term before, a one percenter. Oh, that's a one percenter problem. He's a one percenter. What does it really take to be a one percenter in terms of wealth or income? If you go to globalrichlist.com, you can actually enter in your income. This is a website where you can enter in either, you can go the wealth route, your portfolio, or you can go the income route. And on that website, if you enter in income at $30,000 a year, you are in the top 1.2% of people in the entire world. That is your one percenter. If you make 30K a year or more, you are a, in terms of wealth, of money, you're, you're like 6'5 in height. You're a one percenter. It takes you, if you're at 30K a year, it takes you one year to make $30,000. But according to globalrichlist.com, it takes the average worker in Ghana 187 years to make $30,000. Now, now, you're probably thinking, yeah, but it's, it's cheaper to live there than it is to live in Orange County or is to live in the U.S., But globalrichlist.com gives us this illustration that if you make $30,000 a year, it takes you two minutes and 18 seconds worth of work to earn enough to buy a soda. And it takes the average laborer in Ghana seven hours and 12 minutes of work. They have to work almost an entire workday to earn enough to buy a can of soda. We are... If you make 30,000 or more, or one day will make 30,000 or more, we are in the 1%. And just like being in the 1% in height, 6'5 and taller, creates some problems. Being in in the 1% in wealth creates some problems. Um, From my generation, the notorious B.I.G., he rapped this very famously. (laughs) 
I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. There are some problems with wealth. There are some struggles with wealth, but still we are in a position that people would envy. Now, if you're here and you're like, oh man, this is gonna be a money talk. It's really not gonna be a money talk. We are in the last session or the last teaching of this series, God's Plan. And if we're really wrestling with, do I want God's will for my life, God's plan for my life? Surely that includes what's God's plan for the resources, the money that he's entrusted to me. In fact, this is the ultimate test if you really want God's plan for your life. Because you can't say, God, I want your direction. I want your will for my life, but I do not want to have anything to do with what you say about my money. In fact, the scripture gives us really the opposite picture, that it's not our life and our money. It's ultimately his life and his money. Because he has purchased us and made us his son and made us his daughter. And so we're going to look at what's, what's God's plan for the rich? What's his will for the one percenters? And if you're like, man, I am not a one percenter, you are if you make, look at the whole world's population, you are. Even with the struggles that we have, we are. And all of the things we're going to see in this passage, they really, really relate to us. So we're going to look at a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, turn there, 1 Timothy 6. We are going to put the passage on the screen. The passage is also on the notes that are handed in the bulletin to you. And, And we're going to do anything we can to help you look at the scripture. But I want to encourage you, next week we're going to start a series. We're going to walk through the book of Jonah. I am so giddy about walking through the book of Jonah. I cannot wait. I want you to bring your Bible next week because I want us to walk through. We're going to look at every single verse and I want us to walk through and be able to to hold it and interact and see what God has for us. But we're going to look at this passage in 1 Timothy um, chapter 6. So here's a little background on this passage. The Apostle Paul wrote this text to some people, to, to Timothy, who is a pastor who in the city of Ephesus. So Timothy's a young pastor. Paul is his mentor. This is in the city of Ephesus, which is a place that everybody wants to live in the Greco-Roman world. It's a place that is known for its influence and its affluence. A bunch of wealthy people live there. It's a place that everyone else wants to live. It's a place that in that day, if there had been TV shows and movies about a city in that culture, it would have been about Ephesus. It is very much like Orange County, Ephesus is. It's a place where people want to be. It's the influential and the affluential. It's a place everybody wants to go. And Timothy is this young pastor who has this older mentor who doesn't shy away from telling Timothy what he should say to these wealthy people. I personally have no idea what it would feel like to have an older (laughs) pastor telling you that this is how you should talk to the wealthy people. But it must have been intimidating for Timothy to have that. I mean, personally, I'm grateful for Kenton Bishore in my life who helps me. But um, here we are, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, this is how you should talk to the wealthy people. This is how you should talk to the one percenters. And I want you to see the passage is not, there, there's one section here about what we do with, with, with the money that we've been given. But really the most of the passage is about what kind of people we are. What's our attitude towards resources? This is not really about what we do as much as it's the kind of people that we are. And so I'm going to read the passage. And as you read it along with me, I want you to notice there's three places in the passage where you're going to see the phrase be 
or don't be. You're going to see the phrase be this type of person or don't be this type of person. And so this is a message to the one percenters or those who are going to be one percenters, which for, like if you compared how you live now to how people in Ephesus lived thousands of years ago, we live better than they lived when they first read this. They didn't have air conditioner. They didn't, they didn't drive to church in the morning, right? And so even when we compare ourselves to them, we are rich. So verse 17, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of what is truly life. So Paul tells Timothy, tell them to be these three things. And so I wanna challenge you as we wrap up this series on God's plan to be these three things. So in your notes, you'll see this. Number one, be humble. Be humble. The apostle Paul says, tell the one percenters to not be arrogant because wealth can cause us to be arrogant. The apostle Paul says, remind them to be humble, to not be arrogant. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't shame them for being wealthy. God is not into rich shaming people. He doesn't shame the people for their wealth, but he does remind them that their wealth ultimately comes from God, not from their own goodness. So remind them to be humble, to not be arrogant. In, in the scripture, when you read the Bible, you will see there are plenty of people in the scripture who are wealthy. Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, extremely wealthy. Joseph, very wealthy. Job, both the front half of his life and the back half of his life, very wealthy. There are people throughout the scripture with lots of wealth, and then there's people without wealth. Jesus, as he walked this earth, said of himself, The son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. But whatever level of wealth somebody has, it's ultimately given to that person from God. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 12, the scripture says, riches and honor come from you and you are the ruler, God. You are the ruler of everything. And so here's why we are to be humble and not be arrogant because everything we have, everything is a gift from him. It's all a gift from him. And so here's an example of God warning us about wealth. He doesn't condemn us about wealth, but he warns us about wealth because he realizes that wealth, even though he's the one who gives it, he's the one who gives it. And yet he warns us about it because he knows that wealth can steal our affections and our attention away from him. He doesn't condemn us for having resources or for having wealth, but he warns us that wealth shouldn't have us. He doesn't condemn us for having resources, but he warns us, don't let these resources have you. Don't let these resources own you. Here's an example of of a warning. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 12 through 14. God tells his people as he brought them into a land, when you eat and are full and you build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases. So everything's going well, and you're wealthy. Be careful, be careful 
that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. So he warns us that our hearts can drift away from him. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but I'm the one, I'm the one who brought in the wealth. Like it, I, I acquired this. I'm the top sales guy in the company and I work harder than anybody else. I'm the one who brings it in or I'm the one who started the company. I'm the entrepreneurial spirit. I started it, I flipped it, I sold it and I'm gonna, I'm gonna build another one and someone else is gonna buy that one. I mean, I'm a serial entrepreneur. That's what I do. I'm the one who makes it happen. Look at verse 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability has gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. That your intellect, your business savvy, your entrepreneurial spirit, your work, work ethic, all of that, all of that is a gift from God. All of that is from him. Everything we have is a gift from him. The Christian faith drives a stake in the heart of pride because the Christian faith reminds us over and over again that everything we have from the clothes we wear to the salvation and forgiveness we've received, that all of it, every single bit of it is a gift from our gracious and good God. It's all a gift. And so the way for us to not be arrogant but to stay humble is to remember all of this, all of this is a gift. It's a gift. So be humble. Don't be arrogant. Be humble. A couple of weeks ago, I was reminded of this truth, Plain Connect 4, with a 15-year-old teenager in Haiti. I was playing Connect. We, I couldn't speak his language. He could speak more of my language than I could speak of his, but we connected. We played Connect 4 together for two or three hours. And as I played Connect 4 with this 15-year-old, it was his first time ever playing Connect 4. And we're playing across from one another. And after game five, six, seven, I start seeing that he's picking it up really, really quick. And I'm realizing, man, I, I, think, this, I think this kid is smarter than I am. And he's got, I know he has more grit than I have. He's got more grit than I have because he survived an earthquake and was picked off, off, up off the street to live in this orphanage. And so I'm looking at this kid who's smarter than I am, who has more grit than I am, who's been through more than I'll ever be through in my life. And I realize that all of the things that I have and all of the things that my kids were, are gonna have is not because I'm smarter or work harder than he works. It's just that in God's sovereignty, he's been gracious to give me opportunities that this kid does not have. Opportunities that were given. Now, we're, as a church, are working hard to give him more opportunities with our orphanage and the school that we support there. But the reality is everything I have is not because I have accomplished. It's because God has been gracious to me. And he's been gracious to you too. And so we stay humble when we realize that all of this, everything we have is a gift. It's a gift from him. But how, how practically do we stay humble? Well, look, look next to the next verse. Instruct those who are rich in the present age to not be arrogant. And this is the key. Or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. The way that we stay humble is to set our hope on God, not on the uncertainty of wealth. Wealth is uncertain, 
but God is certain. Wealth is fleeting, but God is consistent. The grace of God and the love of God in your life is sure, but the possessions, they can come and go. So the Apostle Paul says, here's how you stay humble. You set your hope on God, not on the uncertainty of wealth. The market is going to ebb and flow, but the love of our God stays the same. Home prices are going to go up and they are going to go down. But the goodness of our God is consistent. The possessions we have are going to one day fade and rust. But the grace of our God and the truth of our God, he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. So we set our hope not on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. In 08, 2008, I was a pastor during the economic downturn during the recession. I was a pastor in Miami where there was a lot of people in real estate, a lot of real estate investors, and I counseled people who lost it all. They were over leveraged on too many properties and they lost it all and they lost everything because their possessions were their everything. I also counseled people who lost it all and didn't lose everything because their possessions weren't their everything. Their foundation wasn't their wealth. Their foundation was and is their God. And so you can lose and not lose when you set your hope on God, not the uncertainty of wealth. Does this make sense? And so the Apostle Paul says, listen, um, don't be proud. The way to not be proud is to set your hope ultimately on God. And then notice what he says next. Who richly, this is still verse 17, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy so you can humbly enjoy the things that God provides. Again, God's not into rich shaming you. You can enjoy what God provides. You can go to a nice restaurant and enjoy the meal and receive the meal as a gift from God. You can enjoy the home that the Lord's provided for you. You can enjoy the nice vacation with your family. You can enjoy the things that God richly provides. What he does warn us about is not enjoying those things more than we enjoy God. Because if we enjoy those things more than we enjoy God, we end up enjoying neither those blessings or God. Because those things, if we enjoy them first and foremost, those things won't quench us and they won't satisfy us. So we won't ultimately be happy and we'll miss out on the happiness that God provides. But if we first enjoy God, if we first set our hope on God, we enjoy him and we also enjoy his blessings. So which do you enjoy more, God or his blessings? If you enjoy God, Hello, if you enjoy God, you enjoy God, you enjoy him and you enjoy what he provides. You can enjoy the good things that God provides. You should enjoy the good things that God provides. Just don't enjoy those things more than you enjoy God. Because if you pursue and love and long for those things more than you pursue and long for God, you'll miss out on both the blessing and on him. So be humble. Set your affection ultimately on him. This is what God says to the one percenters. All right, number two. I'm going to hit this one quickly. Because Kenton really talked a lot about this last week. Be rich in good works. Be rich in good works. To the wealthy one percenters who lived in Ephesus... Paul told Timothy, hey, listen, tell them to not just be known for being wealthy, but tell them to be known for their good works. 
So when someone looks at you, let it be true that when they look at your life, they don't say, oh, that, that guy's got a lot of money. Oh, she's, got, she's really made it rain. She's done a whole lot of great things acquiring wealth in her life. Let someone look at your life and not see your wealth, but let them look at your life and see your good works. So be a person that's filled with hospitality. Be a person who's gracious and good. Be a person who wakes up tomorrow and does good for others in the world and cares for others in the world. Be rich in good works. Not just rich in wealth, but rich in good works. All right, so number one, be humble. Number two, be rich in good works. Then here's number three, be generous. Be generous. So Paul gives three things here. Be humble, be rich in good works, and be generous. Now, notice in the passage, I want you to see the end of the passage. He says, this is verse 18 and 19. Be generous and willing to share. Look at verse 19. It sounds a lot like what Jesus says. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. That's Paul. In a minute, I'll quote what's on the screen, which is Jesus. They're very similar. Um, the Apostle Paul says, uh, listen, you're going to store up for, for yourself a good foundation in the next life if you're generous in this life. If you are generous now with what God's entrusted to you, you're going to actually build a foundation in the next life. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. So Jesus and Paul say the same thing. This life is very short. You're gonna spend eternity if you belong to him. You're gonna spend eternity in heaven. Think more about that life than you think about this life. This life is brief. That life is forever. Then you, you pay it forward. You put investment in the next life. You be generous to the kingdom of God now and you store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrode your possessions. So invest in the next life. Invest, invest in eternity by being generous now. Imagine a friend shows up at your house this afternoon with a rental car. And he says, man, check out this car I got. You're like, w did you buy a new car? No, it's a rental. Yeah, man, check it out. I got this rental car for a whole week. Man, look what I just did to it. It's sick. Check it out. I just put new rims on it. Man, check. They, 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 they spin, bro. And I got these super nice tires. Man, come, come, come sit in the passenger seat. Man, listen to this sound system. Just, man, doesn't that sound amazing? Man, look at the windows. Man, I, check out these new seats. I've put in new seats. They are amazing. Dude, you want, the, you want the heater or the coal in the seat? I put this special system in that seats, that, that it can change the temperature uh, of your seat as you're sitting there. And you're thinking, bro, this is a rental car. And so you get out and you're, you're like wondering, is everything okay with your friend? And you finally just say, bro, th this is really dumb. Dude, this is a rental car. Why would you invest so much into something that you're only going to have for a week? You know where I'm going. When you look at eternity compared to how little time we spend here, everything we do is like tricking out a rental car. Everything we do, because eternity is forever. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, 
invest in the next life. Just don't invest in this life. So he's really saying both things. If you have a lot of wealth, you can enjoy. You can enjoy all of that as a gift from God. But he's also saying, be generous. Be generous and don't just think about this life. Think about the next life. So as we wrap up, let me just, let me just tell you how this works in a church. I, I've, I've been asked this all the time from friends who are not Christians, friends who've, who've come here with me who, who are not a Christian. And every time I've been a pastor and I have friends who, who don't know the Lord, they ask me, hey, how does church work? Like, how does, I mean, financially, like, I don't get it. Like, Mariners, man, that thing is amazing. How does that happen? Do you have grants? Does some outside organization give money? I mean, how does this thing happen? And so I love, I love to brag on you. I'll say things like this. And it's, it's beautiful, really. You know, there's people a decade ago at Mariners Church who one day, regular people, they just, they gave money and they built a kid's building. And a decade later, my kids are hearing about Jesus in that building. And when they gave, they had no idea that my kids and my kids' friends would be in that building. Mariners Church is just filled with generous people. Everything you see happen at Mariners happens because God's people give. I know it sounds crazy, but we're a part of this long legacy of Christians who we believe that Jesus has been so generous to us that we just become generous back. That's what I say when someone asks. You mean there's no outside organization? No, there's no outside organization. But that's how it's always been. And so let me show you how church has always been in terms of generosity. So look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. This is how Mariners works, and this is how churches for the last 2,000 years, since Jesus died for us and started this whole movement, this is how it works. The Apostle Paul wrote, now about the collection for the saints. So this is about offerings for God's people, which is what the church is. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. So this is in Corinthians, which means Paul is writing to, to Christians that live in Corinth, and he's saying, I told the same thing to the churches in Galatia, meaning this happens across all the cities. Every church was getting <clears throat> this same instruction. This is how the church is to operate. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, so on Sunday, each of you is to set aside something and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. So the Apostle Paul says, man, when I show up to teach, don't do like this special offering. In fact, just do it every single week, regular and proportionate. Have your giving be regular. You give regularly and it be proportionate. When, you're giving, when your money goes up, when your prospering goes up, when your income goes up, your generosity goes up, your giving goes up. When, you're give, when your income goes down, your giving goes down. And so your giving should be regular and it should be proportionate. And so now people ask, and, and I'm, a, I'm just going to be open up all the preacher cards. People debate what proportionate means. So I, I'll sit around on a table with pastors and there'll be a debate on, so some believe that proportionate means, and they, they base this based on the Old Testament, that proportionate means a tithe, 10%. Other people believe, no, 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 tithe isn't mentioned in the New Testament. It's not a tithe. It's not 10%. I fall in that camp. I don't believe that the New Testament mentions the tithe. So you've, I've been here a year. You haven't heard me really use the word tithe. And some of you are like, yes, he's not saying 10%. But, really, but before you get all jacked and excited, before you get excited, <laughs> hang with me for a minute. For those of us who fall in this camp, 
The majority of us who fall in this camp don't think he would be less than 10. And here's why. In the Old Testament versus the New Testament, there's a command in the Old Testament and the New Testament command always is even more. Example, Old Testament, do not commit adultery. New Testament, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. Old Testament, do not murder. New Testament, if you hate in your heart, you've already committed murder. The New Testament is always even stronger of a command. And so Old Testament, 10%. New Testament, be proportionate. And so here's how I, I think it through in my own personal giving. If in the Old Testament, it was 10% and it was 10% based on the law and the law doesn't save me, the law only brings death. It was 10% in the Old Testament when there were the sacrifice of lambs and goats and bulls. Jesus is the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who was slain for the foundation of the world and has given me everything I have. I'm not under the law, I'm under Jesus and grace, and it's much better. But that shouldn't cause me to be less generous, but more. So if some of you are like, man, but I, I could, that's too big of a number to fathom, then you just, you just start somewhere because you want to pay, you want to invest in a foundation for the future because Jesus has been so generous to you. I remember the first time I gave to the church. I was just graduated high school, about to go to college. I had a job, a summer job that my dad got me. He's a civil engineer. And he, he uh, oversaw the in-house contractors at this chemical company. And so he was able to get me um, this chemical plant. So he was able to get me a job working for the in-house contractors, about 300 people um, that worked there. And so I was one of them. And I, 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 it was a summer job working construction. And it was, um, it was a lot of money for a... 18-year-old kid, at that time, like 300 bucks a week, which, you know, that's over 20 years ago. And so I was like, man, this is a lot of money. And yet I'm, um, I'm reading the scripture because I'm a new Christian. I'm in church. And so I, I don't remember if it was one message or what, but I had this sense that I, I should give. I, the offering plate, Pat, I should give. Man, that's crazy to give. Man, I, I sweat making this money. I, I mean, I was like cleaning out uh, uh, asbestos with Asbad suits on. I'm risking my life to get this money. I mean, this is, and to give, to give. But I kept, but the Lord kept nudging me to give. And so week one, I didn't do it. Week two, I didn't do it. All the way to the end. And the last week, I'd worked that summer, so 10 weeks. I just knew. And so I gave my whole, so 10, I gave my whole check that last week. I, I gave it. I paid it for, I gave it. And I got a new car. Nope, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. It's not what happened. I don't have any of those stories, but here's what I do have. In that moment, this is what I knew the Lord was doing. He was separating greed from my heart. This is what I knew the Lord was doing. He was doing a gracious and good work in me that caused me to enjoy everything else that he had given because I was reminded that all of it is from him, that all of it is a gift. It actually caused me to enjoy everything else better because I remembered all of it, every single bit of it is a gift from him. 
And so that started for me. And some of you are thinking, dude, you, you can, you, of course you give. You're a pastor. I mean, what pastor wouldn't give? Well, I haven't always been a pastor. When I worked construction, then I was a pastor. And then I was in the C-suite of a large company for seven years. And, and, and when I was a pastor, when Kay and I first got married, I made $12,000 a year as a youth pastor. We, I, we didn't even have insurance. I took out with Blue Cross this crazy balloon policy that just if something catastrophic hop, happened for like 65 bucks a year. Ken and I used to have to get together and be sure we had enough to buy an $8 pizza to eat. I made 12K a year and I gave, I, I quote unquote tithed on 12K a year. Why? Because it reminded me that all of it is from God and I never one time regretted, never one time regretted giving. And when I was in, in the C-suite, it was a lot more than 12K. And building the discipline then helped me continue to be generous later. And I've never regretted, I've never regretted being generous. Rich people, one percenters, one percenters. Be humble. Realize that your grit, and I realize there's a lot of grit in this room. There's a lot of intellect in this room. There's a lot of business savvy. There's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit. There's a lot of creativity, a lot of innovation in this room. There's a lot of success in this room. Be humble. Realize that everything, even the things that you are able to accomplish, all of that is a gift from a gracious God who in his sovereignty has given you the ability to earn. Be humble. And humbly enjoy what he's given He's not rich shaming you. He's just saying, be humble, be humble. Be rich in good works. Don't just be a person known for what you have. Be rich in good works and be generous, be generous. Let's pray together. Jesus, it is your gracious hand that has given us everything we have. You are a good and gracious father who loves to give things to your sons and your daughters. And you have given us all that we have. You've been such a good and gracious dad to us. We're reminded today to be humble, to realize that it's all a gift from you. And so we say thank you. We say thank you to our good father. Thank you, Jesus. Church, let's stand and let's sing and let's celebrate our good Father who's been so gracious to us.
He's a good and gracious Father. If there's anything that we can pray with you about going on in your life, we would love to go to the Father on your behalf. And so we have a team of people to my left, your right, right at those lights that would love to pray with you. And so just stop by, anything going on in your life at all, stop by those lights over there and let us pray with you. If your need today is prayer for healing, whether that's physical healing or emotional healing, spiritual healing, we have an elder prayer room. And to get to the elder prayer room, you go through the doors in the back and you take a right. A couple of things I want you to know about next week. On your way out, you'll see um, these invite cards. We start this five-week series on the book of Jonah. It is so awesome. It takes you 10 minutes to read. It is a literary masterpiece. I cannot wait to walk through it. It's also a great series to invite a friend to come and see because they're going to see a God who pursues us, who comes after us just like he went after Jonah. On Saturday nights during the next three weeks, so the first three weeks of the series, we're going to be doing some really fun things. We're going to be doing our fall festival. And we used to do it like on a Friday night. We're actually going to do it over three consecutive Saturday nights. So next week's like hay rides after the service. It's going to be awesome. So grab some of these cards so you know, but also to invite some friends to come with you. In your bulletin, there was two things that um, I want you to see that are next steps for you. I mentioned to do good, to be rich in good works. We are looking for some people who will test drive volunteering and, and, and to be rich in good works here at Mariners. And there's a bunch of places where you can get plugged in and serve and just try it out. Just test drive and see if it fits for you. And so we have, you'll see that info out on the patio. And then for those of you who are ready to take a step and, and give, maybe for the first time, here's instructions on how you text. And you can use the offering boxes. You can go online. Um, my wife and I, we give recurring through the same website here. It's called PushPay. You'll see it if you go here. And we said it helps us be regular and proportionate. And so this is a way for you to obey what God's inviting you to be a part of. Okay, let's extend our hands and receive God's blessing as we go. Jesus, these are your sons and daughters, those who have trusted you and received your forgiveness and their hands are extended to you. I pray for them this new week that you would bless them. I thank you for how you already have blessed them and that you already meet all of their needs according to your riches and glory. But I, I do pray, I pray over them now that this new week they would sense your blessing in their life. I pray that you would bless their coming and their going. I pray that you would bless them financially. I, play, I pray that you would bless their relationships. I pray that you would bless 
their business and their work and, and all that they put their hand to this week, Lord. I pray a blessing over them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.